0: Starting today, we're going to be talking about the gospel message, and I'm going to be looking into the question specifically, what is the gospel? Over the next two weeks, I'm going to be dealing with that. And I broke it down into two parts, the head and the heart. And today we're going to be talking about the heart of the gospel. Um, When we talk about the gospel message, we're not just talking about the first four books of the New Testament. Those are called the gospels, but don't be confused. The gospel message is the whole Bible. It's found throughout all of God's Word. It's all there. And in reality, if you just read the, just read the four Gospels, you're missing so much of the story that it's, it's actually laughable. There are so many details you'll never understand because they're found elsewhere. But what it is, those four accounts of the life of Christ, it's the culmination of the Gospel. Now we're going to be focusing on those four books, but we're going to be dealing with so much more It's just important for us to think about this, because when it comes to the gospel, the good news, we're talking about salvation. And salvation is more than just being forgiven and welcomed into heaven. How many of you know that? Salvation is so much more than just, oh, you're good, stamp on the hand, you're welcome into the club. That's not how this works. There are three very important things that happen when we become Christians, and all three will be visible in our life at some point in time. Two will be visible while we're here on this earth. One is waiting for us. Those three things are justification, sanctification, and glorification. We are justified when we're made right with Christ. We are sanctified as we walk out our life and he cleanses us as we learn his word and we adapt ourselves to his ways. And we are glorified when we're welcomed into heaven. You've heard that thing, we were saved, are saved, being saved. We were saved from the penalty of sin, we're being saved from the hold of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's all implied in this idea of salvation. You don't just walk up to an altar, I do, and you get up and you walk away. I mean, how silly is that? Could you imagine a marriage being like that? Plan the marriage out, you're courting, you're dating, and all this is cool stuff. You get married, you come to the altar, you, I do, you exchange rings, and you leave, and you never actually go home to be with the person again. But when someone asks you, of course I'm married, and you mean you while know, your spouse is at home going, I have no idea what just happened. We're supposed to walk this thing out the same way like a married couple. Now, as we work through this, these messages, I want to emphasize that while all of the things that we're going to be talking about apply to those who do not know Christ as Savior, what I'm going to be focusing on over the next two weeks is us. I want to focus on the church. Now, if you've ever been on an airplane ride and you see those silly safety instructions, they all tell you the same thing. If by chance something horrible and unthinkable happens, an oxygen mask will drop down. What do they always tell you? Put yours on first before you try to help somebody else. So that's good advice. Jesus said something kind of the same way. Take the log out of your own eye before you start looking for the splinter in somebody else's eye. So we're going to be doing that over the next couple of weeks. I want to make sure we don't have logs in our eyes, obstructing our vision. I want to make sure that we have things right so that we can better help the people who are around us. Because if we're going to bring people the gospel, we better know what it is. So you think about the gospel. What is it? What do I do with it? And how do I live it in my life? Now, those questions to a Bible-believing Christian should be relatively easy to answer. We just have to read them off the page. We just got to know where to look. They're, act, they're not very difficult questions. So why is this such an issue today? There's a 2021 study done by the Barna Institute and uh, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. This is the actual study. thought I'd print it off today because I didn't have a chance to make a, a slide with all the citations on it. This particular study... Dealt with worldviews among American Christians. And what they found out was that 69% of America self identifies as a Bible believing Christian, as a saved person on their way to heaven. How much of that 69% believes that the Bible is the single authority of that declaration? Nine percent. Nine percent. Of self identified Christians believe that the Bible is necessary for their faith. Wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. Just a couple of years ago, it was 17, by the way. We're headed on a downhill trajectory rather quick. If anyone's interested in reading this study, you've uh, You're welcome to it. How does this happen in the most Christianized nation on the planet? We have more seminaries. We have more Christian universities. We have more churches, more books, more radio stations, more TVs. We've got the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, the Institute for Creation Research, the Discovery Center. We've got the Discovery Institute in Seattle. We have more Christian stuff than any nation on earth, yet we are becoming less and less Christianized. We're walking further and further away from the truth of the gospel message and into living your truth. Oh boy, isn't that a fun one. How does this happen? And in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus quotes from the scroll of Isaiah, and I think he, uh, he hits it. Well, I think I got these out of order. Yeah. No, I didn't. I just never put it down there. Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, he says this. These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. Now listen to what he says in verse 9. It says, in vain they worship me. Worshiping in vain means there is no benefit to you whatsoever. It's just an act. Teaching, now listen to this. Teaching as a doctrine... The commandments of men. They worship me in vain with their lips, but their heart is not from me. The reason their heart is far from me is because they are listening to the word of men and not my word. That is why what they are doing is irrelevant to their life. It has no heavenly benefit whatsoever. It's just lip service. Ouch. The basic idea is that we want want all the benefits of being a believer without the cost that comes with it. This is the heart issue. The heart issue is that God's word is no longer the truth. It is just a truth, one of many truths. This has left many churches unable to answer the very simple questions of our faith, like what is the gospel and what does it mean to be saved? we should have no trouble answering these questions we're christians some of us have been in the church our entire lives i got saved almost 30 years ago it was one of the first things i wanted to know what did i just agree to could you imagine walking into a courthouse standing next to someone for a second walking out and realizing you have a wife and you have never met before you just what do you what do you mean i'm married when I went over to Tanzania, one of the things I told the guy next to me, I said, "Don't let me accidentally marry someone." <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. He understood. You know, there are weird customs somewhere. You know, you stand next to someone, you give him a candy bar, and his daughter's next to him. And his daughter comes stand next to you, and you realize <laughs> you just bought a bride for a candy bar. It's just, it's just sad. But I said, "What well, happens?" We should know what we're talking about. Now, if you think about Christian history. For most of Christian history, we're talking about the last five, 600 years, there have been one dividing line between two basic elements of our faith. One is the Catholic side, the other is the Protestant side. On the Catholic side, they say salvation is through faith in Christ and obedience to the church. The two are inseparable. There's a core doctrine within the Catholic faith. That's why, why I'm not a Catholic. You can't just have faith in Christ. Uh, there's actually, I believe it was a Council of Trent, where they decided that if you believe that you are saved by grace through faith, you are anathema, which means damned, unsavable. It's by faith in Christ and obedience to the church. The two are are inseparable. Now, that idea led to what was called the Protestant Reformation. That's how we came about, us wacky Protestant charismatics. And the word literally means protestant, those who protest. We said no. And people like Martin Luther gave us what are called the five solas of our faith. And these have guided the church for About 500 years, and they are this, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Those are the five elements of our faith, the five things that every Christian has to understand and agree with because they're from the scriptures. They're not optional. Grace is the only thing that saves you. Faith is the, only that give, is, is the only thing that gives you access to that grace. Uh, and that grace comes from Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing else. There's no one else who can bring that to you. And all that is because of Scripture alone. And it's all done for the glory of God alone. It's got nothing to do with making you a great person. Now that I'm saved, I'll be successful. Maybe. Maybe not. Depends on whether or not you make good choices. You can be a Christian and still be dumb. I'm going to move on. i get got 12 jokes running through my mind, and it's not going to happen. <laughs> this has been the dividing line for centuries. For about 500 years, this is where the church has divided. That is no longer the dividing line. When you think about that, I've, I've said this before. I've, I firmly believe that there are, there are as many saved people in the Catholic church as there are unsaved people in the Protestant church. They just don't know it because they have put their faith in Christ, and they've made it right. So that dividing line, I didn't care too much about for a long time. But the dividing line has changed. It has changed drastically. And where it has changed is what gives me the most problem. It comes down to this. What is this? What is the Bible? What is this collection of words? What is this thing that we call the Word of God? And why do we call it the Word of God? And do we have the right to call it the Word of God? Are we putting words in God's mouth? And then making him responsible for our actions. Is that what's happening? Because there's a lot of churches, that's exactly what they're teaching. That this is nothing more than man's word about God, not God's word to man. And it has changed so many things. People like Andy Stanley says that the Bible is just a collection of ancient documents. That it is not foundational to our faith. Bill Johnson tells his followers to remember that it's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That if you want what God has for you, you've got to risk going beyond the pages. They call it going off the map. Because God is bigger than his book. Wow, it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Until you actually read the book and you find out it says, don't listen to people who say stuff like that. The list of teachers and denominations that deny the authority of Scripture is growing and growing every day. How is that possible? It's possible because their lips honor God, but their heart has never met Him. God is a system. Christianity is a system. To them, it's just a set of rules. It's an organization. You go A, B, C, D. I came up and did the altar call thing. That's great. I went to a foundations class. That's great. I show up on Sunday. I'm good. It doesn't matter that I have a porn problem, an alcohol problem, a language problem, that I'm emotionally and physically abusive to my wife and my kids, that I do a terrible job and and I never tell anyone about Christ because I don't want them to know. But I'm good. I will be in heaven. Because deep down, God knows I'm a good person. Sure, that's exactly what God, believe me, God knows exactly who you are. And that should scare the snot out of all of us. Answering this question, what is the word of God, is not only the most important question you will answer in your faith, in your life, it is also the very beginning of understanding what the gospel is. Because if you answer that question, yes, the Bible is the inerrant word of God, as you should, because it is, then you now understand that you have the answer to every meaningful question in life. Every meaningful question in life is now answered because you know what it means to be saved and you know what it means to be lost. You know what it means to have morality, to have ethics. You know what it means to love. You know what it is to hate. You know what good is. You know what evil is. You know what righteousness is. You know what unrighteousness is. You know what it means to be married and you know how to be single. You know how to be rich and you know how to be poor. We know everything about life, family, and faith because we have an authority greater than ourselves teaching us. that authority is the word of God. All of that is available literally at your fingertips. And sometimes just by saying, Siri, just making sure my phone wasn't like, yes, (laughs) let me think about that. (laughs) We can find the answer to all of these questions just by looking. That's probably the problem. There are answers. We don't want to find them. Apparently, 91% of self-professed Christians in this country answer that question, no, no. The Bible is just a collection of moralistic stories meant to help you become a good person. If that is your answer, then here's the reality. Then you are now your own master. We like that. We, especially men. We, this, is, this is why it's hard so hard to get men to come to church. We want to be our own master. We are in control. I am smart enough, brave enough, talented enough. I can make this happen. Who was it? I think it was Archimedes said, give me a lever long enough and I will move the world. Ah, ah, ah. You get to determine what is good and what's not good. You make the rules because there's no standard other than yourself. The problem is, same goes for everybody else. And they're probably not going to agree with your standards. You're not going to agree with their standards. But hey, it's okay, man. Live your truth because God loves you, man. You do you, boo. Some of you are thinking, I can't believe he just said that. I don't even know who boo is. I'm 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 just saying, if it's a person, I'm sorry. Your parents obviously didn't like you. They named you Boo. You uh, being named something that you used to scare people once a year? Boo! <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Like I said, you can be Christian and dumb. <laughs> okay? Over the last 10 to 15 years, every major denominational group, every major denominational group has split. Everyone. And I'm not talking about just Catholics, Protestants, I'm talking about every group, Baptists, all Pentecostal churches, even the Mennonite churches. They've all split for the same reason. The reason that they've split is over the authority of Scripture. Every single group has split for the same reason. One group wants to follow the Word of God, the other doesn't. Could you imagine having that conversation in the middle of a denominational meeting? We know what the Bible says, but... You know, I prayed about it, and I've got a good feeling. That's great. No one cares. Here's what the Bible says. Churches want to accept everyone and everything, and they also want to sanctify all lifestyles. Not just accept all lifestyles, sanctify all lifestyles. Meaning that not only are you good the way you are, you're good the way you are because God made you that way. It doesn't matter if you're a boy, girl, hamster. It makes no difference whatsoever. God made you that way. You may have been born looking like a boy, but really, you're a hamster. And I want to affirm your hamsterness, and I want to bless and sanctify the hamstericity of your truth. I hope no one here knows someone who identifies as a hamster. spend your entire life on a wheel, it'd be weird. But they want to accept these people as long as they're, listen, good people. I know them and they're good people. So we should let them live their truth. Starting to sound familiar? The idea is that we are made this way because God made us this way. And it doesn't matter what the Bible says because it was a book written by a bunch of flawed men with ancient biases. It can't be the word of God because it was the word of God. Then it wouldn't condemn what other people are now calling love. Because they're good people. We, in our intellectual superiority, have now moved beyond the ignorant religious superstitions of the past. The Bible has some good stories in it, but it cannot be the authority in my life because I disagree with it. What really counts is that we love and respect one another, that we be good people. I keep hearing that word over and over and over again. God wants us to be good people so we can live our best life now. I was watching a Paul Washer video uh, a little while ago, and he mentioned something that just caught my attention. It was so simple and so profound. I I had to share it. And as I was writing this, I thought, perfect, let's drop this in here. He mentioned he was he was over in Europe and he was he was giving a uh, a talk at a uh, at a Christian university and he knew that people there didn't like him because <laughs> he he brings the truth and he brings it pretty hard and uh, so he 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 told everyone I'm going to give you what I think is the most terrifying truth in all of Scripture and he kind of kind of fed it throughout the entire message and then towards the end of the message he gave them what he believes is the most terrifying thing thing to know about all of Scripture and here it is are you ready your feet underneath your chair. The most scary thing in all of Scripture, and I agree with them, is that God is good. And we are not. I want you think about that, only God is good. When Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, he said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. And that is God. Think about the implications of that statement. No one is good but God. Grandparents, that means your little grandbaby. And I know you already know this. That little grandbaby might be a cute little bean. He ain't good. She ain't good. I know. I've, I've been back there. I've seen the nursery after church. Your kids aren't good. Okay. I'm just kidding. I got another joke running through my mind. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> if only God is good, it means that only his, way, only his ways are good. Only his morality is good. Only his views on sexuality and gender are good. Only his views on marriage and family are good. And only his views on everything else that scripture touches on, even in a small way, only his views are good. And if society says anything else, no matter how much we want to agree with it, they're wrong. Because only God is good. Which means only What we find in his word is good. Everything else is a lie. It doesn't matter how much you want to believe it. It doesn't matter how much you like that person. It doesn't matter how much you you think that their marriage is good. No matter how much you want to identify with whatever their truth is. It does not matter. It's not good. So when we identify and we try, to, we try to endorse and sanctify what God calls sin, we are not being good people. We are ushering people to judgment with a smile on our face because it makes us feel good about our position in society. We're not good unless we're following God. And that makes his word even that much more important but you know what when you reduce god's word to nothing more than man's thoughts about god then it doesn't really matter does it paul had some weird ideas about women and family didn't he (laughs) obviously that's why he was single you know why he didn't have kids no one wanted to date him in the old testament guys it's pretty obvious they paid for their wives Because no one would want to live under those rules. See, we can honor God with our lips. But our heart is nowhere to be found. Because His truth is not in us. And His truth only comes from one place. That's the Word of God. Now you think about this. 9% of the church agrees that the Bible is the Word of God. The very people charged by God to bring His Word to a lost and dying world don't even believe it. Instead of teaching the Word of God as the Word of God, preachers from pulpits are teaching whatever people want to hear so they can live their best life now, brother. What was sin in the Bible is no longer sin because we've grown beyond judging the Bible says we shouldn't judge. We're, we're, we're bigger and better than that now. What was immoral in the Bible is no longer immoral because we've learned to love and accept one another just as we are. The real truth of Scripture has been replaced with your truth about Scripture. If God says there's only two gender, but, genders, but society says there's over 100, then obviously the Bible's wrong because the Bible's not a book about science. We're smarter today than we were back then. If God's word says that pornography, premarital sex, living with someone outside of the covenant of marriage, abortion, fill in the blank. It says all that is wrong, but society says it's okay. We accept you. Then accepting it does not make us good. It puts us on the wrong side of God. We are literally living in the days of 2 Timothy 4. For a time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the people of God. He's talking about those who come and lift their hands in worship, read their bibles occasionally, give a little money, try to feel good about themselves. He says they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Can anyone tell me another way, another term for a fable? It's a lie it's just done creatively. I love the Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian. He did a great job writing those. The entire thing is a lie. I don't know if you realize that. It's all a lie. They made it up. Even the elven language. Doesn't matter how awesome it is. You know, I, I like, I like Star Trek and some of you may have learned to speak Klingon. Good for you. It's a lie. It's not real. I don't know if you realize this, but the enterprise is not circling the earth. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I've been to that spaceship. It was in the back of the Hale Bopp comet, which is what some Christians believed at that time. Jesus was coming back in a spaceship to take us to heaven. Not sure why he wanted a spaceship, but that's just the way they, you know, the way it went. It's just a lie. We're not talking about people with a different viewpoint. We're talking about a lie. And here's the thing about lies. Lies do not save. They do not forgive. They do not make you right with God. No matter how much you want to believe them or how religiously you follow them, they're still lies. And they do nothing to make you right with God. They neither bring justification or sanctification. How can people come to the church, lift their hands in worship, and believe these kinds of lies? It's because they only honor him with their lips, that their faith is momentary. Christianity is really tough. It takes two hours a week, you know, and that, that's counting the drive to church, right? And every now and then, Christianity gets a little long-winded, and sometimes you've got to let the pastor know, Christianity's taking up a little bit more of my time than I expected today. <laughs> got mac and cheese in the crockpot at home, and you're messing with my second breakfast. There's a very interesting interview uh, on the YouTube channel, Messed Up Church, that I recommend that you watch. It's from former Bethel worship leader Jesse Westwood, and it talks about his falling away from the church and his eventual return. It's, It's long, but I really recommend you get this. He went... He, he was, he was uh, born in the church, grew up in the church, went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, graduated, got hooked up with groups like Jesus Culture, Bethel, uh, was doing leading worship for conferences. You know, he, he knew people like uh, Chris Quilala and all these other uh, the people who were, you know, the, part of this, this whole organization. Was with them for, for many, many years, and slowly, because of the promises that were made to him, his faith began to erode and erode, and erode. It's called deconstruction. He began to walk away from his faith. Finally, he got to the point where he realized, I can't be a Christian. I don't believe any of this. And he became an agnostic. But he was the staff worship leader at a very large church. But he didn't want to just quit because that's really difficult to replace someone like that. So he gave the pastor nine months to find a replacement. When he had four months left, he was a solid atheist. And his own testimony is that during that time, being an atheist, leading worship at a overly spiritual, I'll just say, Pentecostal church. He even says, I manufactured things that would look like prophetic worship. I faked it for four months and every, during that entire time, people came up to him, You're so anointed. Worship today was just filled with the spirit. I could feel it. I could feel, I felt Jesus today because of you, atheist, worship leader. And it further pushed him away from the church. He was away for quite a while, tried different, different things, and began to come back. And he went and he, he, he went to a church that, uh, I, I can't remember what, exactly what happened, but he, was, he, he decided to try to come back to faith. And here's his own testimony He was in a church and he heard something he had never heard before. It was the gospel, a Bible centered gospel message of salvation through the forgiveness of sin through repentance. He went through Bethel's school of supernatural ministry, was on stage at multiple big Pentecostal events. All of that time, he had never heard the gospel. You know what brought him back to faith? The truth of the gospel as found in the word of God. He'd never heard it. He grew up in church. He had never heard the gospel message. Part of me hopes that broke his parents' heart. Because parents, you need to understand something. I can't save your kids. And neither can the kids. It doesn't matter how good that kids program is. It is your responsibility to lead your children to Christ, not the churches. They're with us for 45 minutes a week. And most of the time, they're more concerned about what the snack is. Like most of you are right now. The Snyders are here. Is there fudge? That's all you care about. <laughs> Believe me, I'm looking at my clock like, if I, if I can get off the stage fast enough, I can... Now, I've got to set it up. Kind knows to put some away for me. It's just the way it works. <laughs> I have a guy. I, I have a girl. I have someone on the inside. You know? That's what I'm thinking sometimes when there's no fudge back there. <laughs> you should check out the interview. It's, it's extremely eye-opening. Collectively as the church, because remember, we're talking about the church, we are losing the ability to see the world through the lens of truth because we have stopped looking at the world through the lens of Scripture. We've stopped using Scripture as our one and only authoritative guide. We use our feelings, our emotions, our experience. Well, see, I don't, I don't need the Bible. I have my experience as a Christian. Your experience as a Christian might not be good. I know plenty of people who've got a lot of experience as a Christian, that doesn't mean I want them ministering to people who, who I'm trying to lead to Jesus because their experience isn't good. We say practice makes perfect, but really practice just makes permanent. You can practice things poorly. The trick is to practice them well. Our faith is no different. Today we are letting culture tell us who God is. And what he wants. We've got too many people in the church that want the power of the gospel to make us right with God without having to submit to the authority of God. We want the justification and we want the glorification. But God help me, I don't want that sanctification stuff. Leave me alone. I said yes, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to do this stuff in the middle. Even though scripture says work hard to make your calling and election sure." Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't be led astray by doctrines that have nothing to do with the truth. They're doctrines of demons. Study to show yourself approved as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. You rightly divide the word of truth. Over and over again, Scripture says, I know you're one of mine. Now spend the rest of your life proving it. Run the race. didn't say watch other people run the race. We want the power of God without the responsibility or the authority of God. And we don't read the word of God because we're afraid of what we might find in the pages. I'm going to ask a question I don't want any one of you to answer, okay? Just to make sure everyone's paying attention, I don't want anyone to answer. When is the last time you read your whole Bible? And I'm talking within the time period of two years. I'd be willing to bet there are less than five of us in the room who can say that. We have a Bible. We read the books we like. We look at the quotes we like. We watch the videos we like. But we don't read it for ourselves. I got extremely convicted this year. Because at the end of the year, my wife said, did it! went through the whole Bible this year. And I was like, wow, that's really good for you. Oh, I'm a pastor. (laughs) Reading the Bible's literally my job. But it's kind of like the carpenter's house is never finished. You You know what I'm saying? And I mentioned something to our leadership team this year uh, uh, at, their, at their last meeting that uh, we need to, to come to the point in our minds where we control the things that we can control. We stop making excuses. We do the things that we know that we can do. We knuckle down, we make it happen. Instead of just, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. No. Time to make it happen. Because you never know how dumb something is or, some, or how easy something is to fix. I'll give you a quick example. We had an emergency light that was broken. It's been broken for a year. You want to know what was wrong? Surge came to hell. Some of you are laughing because you already know what's wrong. Surge came to hell. Surge is an electrician. He's here for three hours. Three hours. We're upstairs at the top. We're looking at letters, at wires. He's taking stuff apart. It's still got electricity in it. Electricians apparently do this. I don't want to do this. We get through all of this, and we can't figure out what's going on. And just, just you know, for a stupid reason, I said, I wonder what this breaker does. Cuck. Bing! The breaker was off for a year! Like I said, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're smart. We may have access to the power of God, but I don't know anything about electricity. Now, if I would have called, I don't know, Roger, who helped install that system, he would have said something that most bosses that deal with mechanical issues would probably say. He probably would have said, did you check the breaker? And my answer would have been, of course. Hold, please. (laughs) It's a miracle. It just started working. The presence of God is with you. You're anointed. (laughs) It just gets silly. We need to get back to the simplicity of our faith. We need to do the things that we can do. Focus on the things that we can do right. And the things that we can do right are very simple. Read your Bible, pray, come to church. This can't be that difficult. It can't be that. We've, people have been doing this for thousands of years. Read the word of God, pray to God, come fellowship with the people of God. See how simple that is? But we make a thousand excuses as to why it's not for me. I've talked to God, we've worked it out, we're good. No, you've talked, God listened. And he's waiting for you to stop and get over yourself and get back to the reality of things. We need to return to the standard of God's word as our absolute authority. And this begins in the life of the individual Christian. I can't make this choice for you. And honestly, I won't even try. It's it's exhausting trying to chase people down. I, I can't do it. It starts with each Christian making the choice to learn and live the word of God. This is a choice that begins in the heart. That's why we're talking about this is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is a choice. It's a choice you make on the inside. It either matters to you or it doesn't. There's no middle ground. Let's make sure that we're not falling into the trap of honoring him, honoring him with our lips, but keeping our heart far from him. We need to come back to this 500-year-old truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. These are important parts of our faith. This is where everything begins. If we don't come to this point, it doesn't make any difference what else you do. You can give a bajillion dollars to an organization. You don't know God, you're not going to heaven. You can give nothing to any organization because you never had two pennies to rub together. But you know Jesus. You'll be with him in eternity. That's the goal. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're filled with assurance because you've got all this taken care of. Pastor, I am doing exactly what you were talking about. That's awesome. If you are, I think that's fantastic. And I know there's people who are. Or are you one of those 91% of Christians that has put the authority of the Bible on the back burner because there are other things that are more important to you? Are you part of the 91% of believers who have the Bible, read the Bible, hope that the parts you like are true, and ignore the parts that you don't like because you don't want to be rude to somebody? There's ways of telling people the truth without being rude. We can do that. But if we're not willing to tell them the truth at all, what difference does it make? I came to Christ because someone told me what I didn't want to hear. And I was just open, open-minded enough to listen. Changed everything about my life. And I knew if I strayed even a little... I'm not sinless. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I got my own problems. Trust me. But I'm not getting off this path. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. And sanctification isn't a process that happens overnight. It will take you the rest of your life and you still won't get it done. But we do it together. Because that's what the word of God says. This is why the saints gather. You may have been justified by faith, but now let's be sanctified in our efforts so that we may one day be glorified in his presence.